house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Take me, God. Don't play with me. I was wondering if I could use your phone. My house? I can watch the kid after school. I can do $11 an hour. Let's go! Here's a dime. Call your mom. Costs more than a dime. All right. Here. Costs more than that. Call collect. You like him? He's interesting. In a gotcha sort of way. Hey, look, it's Oliver. You need to defend yourself or you get mowed down. Get out of here. You're small if you haven't noticed. And so is Hitler. That's a horrible comparison. So how do you and Vincent know each other? I'm working for this man. I go hard. I'm also a dancer. Who is she? A lady of the night. Do you know what that means? She works at night. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that knows exactly what you did on my boat. Stage paparazzi photos with your new doctor boyfriend to make your last doctor boyfriend jealous. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, you will be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File. I'm here, as always, with my pregnant Russian sex worker co-host... Josevic Redovovich. Hello. My Hello. My pregnant belly gets in the way of my uh making money on strip club. I go punch vending machine. <laughs> I go say maybe... I go say rude things about people in hospitals. Okay, speaking of saying rude things to people, that our our accent jokes will probably be the rudest that we personally will be to Naomi. Yes. In this our Naomi Watts mini series that we are to be fair, we have spent three full episodes plus a mini talking about how great she is with an American accent. So Mm -hmm. like these chickens are now coming home to roost in terms of (laughs) her bad her one bad accent that we've encountered on this mini series. It has been fun examining her career and also defending it as well against some naysayers. However, I am Utterly aghast at this CBS interview that you found with her. Yes, CBS. So I'm doing my uh, my usual round of research for the movie. I tend to try and find little interview clips that people have done at the time. Publicity junket interviews are generally not super illuminating in general, so I don't always find um, interesting stuff. But she's on uh, the CBS This Morning show with... Charlie Rose and Nora O'Donnell and somebody else whose name I am now not able to conjure because they're neither the current host of the CBS Evening News nor a scandal-plagued... Right, also they're not Gail, yes. God, what if it was Gail King? I was just like, you know that person. Um, But they were talking about... Charlie Rose brings up the topic of like... Which is like such a dumb topic. I find it's just like, what is it with Australia and all these great actors? It's just like... They're a country. They have... You know what I mean? England does it too. But so Naomi is doing... You know... Oh, yes. You know, they have a really great, you know, national uh, theater, whatever. And, you know, Nicole and Russell and Kate Blanchett and all these things. And the one other host is like... 
Nicole, Kate. Russell, Kate, mm-hmm. yeah, Russell. Hugh Jackman, one Hugh Jackman. the nanny yeah. for, right? Yeah. I said, and Nicole, who at one point you were the nanny for when you were trying really hard to become. No, I wasn't. I was never her nanny. I was. I was just her friend. But um, <laughs> we did hang out with each other and the kids all the time. Yeah, yeah. And it's so sad to watch like this look of on Naomi's face of just like, it's. it's I'm just never going to get out from under it, am I? I'm never going to be anything like at the end of the day i'm still just nicole's subordinate to the point where people just assumed i worked for her like the injustice of thinking that naomi watts is nicole kidman's nanny my 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 skull cracked in half split down the middle of my whole body and a dragon popped out and it is in the process of scorching the earth. Yeah, it's rough. She handles it with aplomb, but there is a half a second, I, I screen capped it for Twitter, there's half a second where just like her eyes just go blank and it's just sort of just like the realization of it dawns on her and it is a bummer. So if anybody thinks that we have been mean to Naomi in this month... yeah. Direct your ire to CBS. I will say, 2014, the year that uh, St. Vincent comes out, really good year for Naomi Watts in terms of a, of her career. Like Exactly. She... I mean, it, not that they should be asking her those questions, but like if you told me that interview was 2013 for like Diana, maybe I would believe it. But like, right. this is such a comeback year. Like, we don't really have much of a recap for Naomi because it's the literal year after Diana happens, which we talked about last week, and that was also a bad year otherwise for her. But she bounces back with this. um, Hi, we're here to talk about St. Vincent, which, like, we're both going to be in agreement. It is a terrible movie, but people liked it. And it made I think I think we're going to be maybe, not in disagreement exactly, but I think you are going to be much more vehement about not liking it than I am, is my Okay, that's possible. But also, she's in Birdman, which we've talked about, like, that's a role that almost, like, disrespectfully, like, asks her to do what she's doing, but she's good in it. Um, But it's Best Picture winner, and also, um, while we're young, premieres, and she's really good in that. Um, the Noah Baumbach movie that wasn't released until the next year. But, like, when she's doing the press for this movie, like, people had already seen those movies, right? And she'd gotten good notices. Or the movies Yeah, St. Vincent opens in, what we say, October? Um, yes. And, and so, yes, while we're, while we're Young has already played Tiff, Birdman has probably already premiered at New York Film Festival, or if it has hadn't, like, it's right around that time. So While like, We're Young was at New York, right? Or was that when they were still doing the secret movies and it was the secret movie? It was the secret movie. It was mm-hmm. That was the year that, like, the secret screening at New York Film Festival sort of, like, lost all, the, all its mystique because it... And it, it was already a movie that had played another festival, and that was, like, the slot where they were playing, like... Hugo before like right. the visual effects right. were completely finished. Didn't they show Lincoln? Yeah. As well? So my in my sort of meager experience with the New York Film Festival, Hugo was the big thing. Where like unexpected, unannounced, they they premiered Hugo. Well, they couldn't call it a premiere because it wasn't finished. But like first people to see Hugo, New York Film Festival, it got announced um, sort of impromptu in the middle of the festival. Lincoln, I remember, I think I've told the story about how I worked at ABC, which is right across the street from Lincoln Center. And that 
day that they announced that there were secret screening tickets and everybody, it sort of leaked out that it was going to be Lincoln. And I ran over and I got some tickets. And I think that was where I met Katie Rich for the first time. And it was a whole thing. So, um, but then Lincoln was also technically not a premiere because like some things aren't finished. And I think it was like literally just like the music is maybe not fully like calibrated, mm-hmm. but like it was done. That movie was yeah. done. Uh, Hugo, and then, if I remember correctly, it's like one or two visual effects shots weren't finished. Right, right. I can't remember what the secret screening was in 2013, but it was like something and it was fine. And then just last year it was Uncut Gems, which had already played like two or three. Right. That's festivals. the thing. Yeah. So like starting in 2014, 2014 is when the sort of like the mystique goes away and it's just like, what's it going to be? And I remember, oh, I remember in 2013, I don't think there was one. And I think my theory at the time was they wanted it to be the Wolf of Wall Street and it just wasn't finished in time. Wolf of Wall Street didn't get released until the very end of 2013. Mm. And I believe the thing at the time was that they were still working on it, like, up until, like, December. And That probably was when it was still, like, a four-hour movie or something. Yeah. And then, so 2014 comes around, and there's, again, speculation, what's it going to be? And it's everybody's sort of, like, throwing around these big things. And it ends up being While We're Young, a movie that, A, had already premiered at TIFF the month before, and B, like... I remember it being well received at TIFF. I love it. everybody seemed to like it a lot better than I did. I do not really care for that movie, um, but certainly it didn't like land with a splash at TIFF and like emerge from right. there as this like major Oscar contender. And I think that being the standard set by Hugo and Lincoln, both of which were like huge Oscar films by these like major American directors, and so I think when While We're Young happened, it's just like oh okay, so we're settling into this sort of like you know. And it's it's not going to be. And it has that, like that a local deal. thing to it because New York Film Festival happens at Lincoln Center, and there's a whole sequence in the movie that's Lincoln Center. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. So, but yes, you're right. Naomi's good in that movie. Um, again, as I said, it got pretty good reception that year. But then, yeah, the two big ones are Birdman, which is you know an such you know even bigger success than people expected it to be and she does so well as part of the ensemble in that one and then saint vincent which had been sort of buzzed early but not really for her a lot of people thought it might be a bill murray vehicle i thought it might be you know a chance for melissa mccarthy to get um a sort of more uh, a more serious role that she would get a lot of respect for. And like Melissa McCarthy gets completely lost in the shuffle of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but all of a sudden, so unexpectedly, Naomi ends up getting the SAG nomination for this movie. So like she ends up being like She's the most wild. prestigiously decorated of anybody in this movie, which is fully wild and we'll get, we'll totally get into it. I imagine that when that nomination happened in like whatever the balloting was for SAG, and I think this is still when like SAG had like committees, but larger committees that determined like their nominating group, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I just imagine that when it was entered into whatever computer, Naomi Watts, St. Vincent, like Siri popped up and said, do you mean Birdman? <laughs> like, yeah. It's so funny because like, I don't even remember very much of a campaign for her for this movie. I don't either. And that's why yeah. when it happened, I was just like, huh. Like, I, I, I guess, you know, 
this, those screeners went out. Uh, it, it did pretty well at the Globes SAG too, always, but Shaq is didn't. the one that whatever it is with their voting practices and their voting practices are incredibly weird. Like they have they have panels, right? They have, yeah, they get yeah. randomly selected like panels or committees, and like it's not like ten people like sitting around putting their votes in, but like it's a yeah. it's a larger number, right? Um, yeah, it's not just like all of SAG, which who even which is knows? a vast number, yeah, yeah. Like you're talking probably ten thousand people. It's like commercial yeah. actors vote on stuff too. Yeah. But the thing yeah. about SAG is that there, if there's always some random weird one off nominee that sounds wild to you on nomination morning with sag it's because most of the time it was a movie that got out early got a screener out early yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense we'll talk about we'll talk about this year's sag awards uh in more detail later on i that's it's there's some the differences between the sag lineups and the oscar lineups are like kind of interesting and we will get into that for sure Absolutely. But we are here to talk about St. Vincent, which is like the thing that's so weird about that Naomi Watts nomination is that this was like sold as a Bill Murray vehicle. It was going to be another nomination for Bill Murray. It was like the Weinstein's big push before like Big Eyes. And what else did they have that year? Um, Imitation game. Yes. Right. Like, yes. The big success of the imitation game. Yeah. Right. And like people liked it, but I don't think people were as enamored by Bill Murray as like the campaign probably would have liked to have happened because he has never gotten a second nomination since Lost in Translation. We've talked about like Bill Murray before in our Hyde Park on Hudson episode. But, like, right. I remember they made a big deal with the TIFF premiere for this. They did a full Bill Murray day at Toronto oh, where they yeah. did, like, Bill Murray movies all day on top did of you know, regular festival programming. Did you know that this movie finished third in the voting for the uh, the People's Choice Award at TIFF that year? That this was uh, this yes. year, um, what you call it, uh, the Imitation Game won People's Choice that year, which I think was the big, like, oh, it's definitely, it is definitely going to get an Oscar nomination. And then second place was um, Learning to Drive, that movie by Isabelle Quachet, uh with mm-hmm. Patricia Clarkson and Ben Kingsley, if you remember of that movie. I never movie. saw it, but it Neither looks did like I. the type of thing I would like. <laughs> Um, and then St. Vincent finished third. But you're right, it was it was a big premiere. I remember this was my first year at TIFF. This was, um, I had, not to like bore everybody with process or whatever, but like I had applied for press credentials. They said no. Um, I, I applied like very last minute. And I, As you it know, happens with a lot of people. Knew better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and, but they offered me like, we can offer you like these vouchers for press screenings. But mostly what I did um was took advantage of the fact that we had very little oversight at the Atlantic at the time and um I was like well I'll just buy a 20 public tickets and just go to like you know public screenings and premieres and expense the whole thing it was great um That's and I did my first tip so but the certain things are harder to get than others and the big gala premieres are among that and one of the movies I tried to get tickets for and couldn't was St. Vincent and I tried to um 
you know, work my meager skills at schmoozing publicists to get tickets, because that's sort of the thing with um, a lot of the writers who go to cover the festival is you go to your press screenings during the day or whatever. But then for the big ones, um, publicists can usually just like get you a ticket to the premiere screening. And that helps you sort of like, you know, uh, helps your schedule get a lot more flexible. If you have these evening premieres that you can go to that you can, you know, free up some time in the day for seeing other movies or writing or whatever. So I tried to get t- uh, press pa- uh, publicist tickets to St. Vincent and it wasn't happening and it wasn't happening. And I was very sort of like new at this whole thing. And I was very frustrated. And ultimately I was just like, fine, I can't. So, um, I was just coming out of, this was Friday night, the second night of the festival, the, the uh, kicking off the weekend, St. Vincent's the big premiere of Friday night. And so I'm seeing this movie called Bird People at the Scotiabank, which is this very, very small little movie with Josh Charles and someone else. And, and at some point somebody turns into a bird and it's like fine and cute, but like nobody ever saw it. And I barely remember it. I wonder um, why when the best picture winner that year is bird man. And so I'm walking out of this and I'm like checking my text messages one more time. Nothing from the publicist. Like I'm fine. I'm just, I'm texting some of the people. I'm just like, I'm not going to go to it. And I'm a little sort of like, you know, like fuck this movie, like whatever. Um, and then I walk out of the theater and the skies had opened up like it was the thunderstorm to end all thunderstorms for the next like hour and a half and like people were like it's one of those thunderstorms that catches people where like people were huddling under um like awnings of restaurants and like up against the sides of buildings because maybe it won't be like raining on me that hard it was like that kind of a downpour and if you go on twitter or on uh, youtube and look up the red carpet arrivals for the St. Vincent premiere at TIFF, you will see like Bill Murray and Melissa McCarthy and whatever, like getting out of their limos on, on King street and just like publicists holding umbrellas over their heads. And it is just downpouring and like absolutely amazing. Just the, 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 you know, ushering these <laughs> people out of their cars. They didn't give them an awning. No, didn't no, no. There's no awning. Like there's there's awning like right in front of the theater. But like they can't this, get an awning and a ring light. The scene at TIFF is you pull up in front of like these big theaters, and there are fans lined up all along the street, sort of like behind these like metal barricades or whatever. And they're the ones who are like you know screaming and whatever, and like they're all psyched to see the celebrities. And then the photographers are all there, and all of the fans, and I'm sure all of the photographers are just like completely getting poured on, and it is a wild scene. And I remember talking to friends of mine who had gone to the St. Vincent premiere and every one of them was just like, oh my God, like standing in line waiting to get in. I got so fucking soaked, like all this sort of thing. And I was just like, oh, huh, that's interesting. Like I saw my little movie that nobody cared about. And then I went back to my hotel and I stayed (laughs) stayed nice and dry. So whatever. Yeah. And you missed a movie that wasn't all that great. Yeah. The tip thing is so important for this movie though, because like I always remember it as just like kind of instrumental to this Bill Murray campaign that just never materialized into anything. Like, as its world premiere, they were making such a huge deal about Bill Murray specifically. Well, and well, this is uh, once we get on the other side of the plot description, we'll talk about sort of the post Lost in Translation expectation that Bill Murray would sort of capitalize on that Oscar momentum. And it's not that he dropped the ball necessarily, but like, there were uh, there were opportunities for Oscar to sort of latch on to things that he was doing that they did not take. <laughs> right. And right. it's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. 
But yes, the movie is St. Vincent, written and directed by Theodore Melfi, um, who listeners will also know from uh, Hidden Figures, which was why I was always hesitant about Hidden Figures, because I hated this movie so much when it was like you know, lurking as a potential thing, and then that movie is way better than this movie. Um, but also starring Bill Murray, uh, Mine Lieberherr, Jaden, <laughs> now Martell. Then Lieberherr, yeah. was very this, I was this close to screenshotting, introducing Jaden I did, I did. I almost, I forgot to send it to you, but I did screen, oh, okay. uh, screenshot it from the trailer. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> also starring Melissa McCarthy, our beloved Naomi Watts, Chris O'Dowd, and not Dowd, just regular Ann Dowd. That Karen was a meeting. Of, that's a meeting of the minds. I want to see is Chris O'Dowd and Ann Dowd talking about like at what point Anne's family disavowed the uh, the Irishness the in her name. Yeah. <laughs> like what harrowing Ellis Island story does Ann Dowd have in her family's history? Yes. Um, also, wildly with Terrence Howard, um, other character actors like Nate Cordry, Deirdre O'Connell, Reggie Cathy is in this movie. Yep, yep. Uh, we, Scott Adsit from uh, Thirty Rock. Pete from Thirty Rock is uh, is the non-speaking ex-husband, uh, adulterous dad. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Um, movie, as we mentioned, premiered at TIFF. Had a limited opening early October. Went wide a week before Halloween. The cursed Halloween window for Naomi had her costume teachers. already. She played a pregnant Russian hooker for Halloween, apparently. So <laughs> but Joseph. Yes. Before we get into the film itself, would you like to give a 60-second plot description? We've do only my made it 20 minutes into recording. I know. We're getting so much better momentarily. We go back and forth, I feel like. We do. We do. Yes, I'm ready, though. All right. Your 60-second plot description for the motion picture film St. Vincent starts now. Uh, Bill Murray plays Vincent, a mean old crumb bum living in Sheep's Head Bay in Brooklyn, South Brooklyn. Uh, he's a Vietnam vet. His wife has Alzheimer's. She lives in a nursing home that he increasingly cannot afford. He goes and gambles at the racetrack. He's in debt to some loan sharks, including Terrence Howard. He's a huge grump. Uh, Melissa McCarthy is a single mom who just moved in next door to him. Her son is Oliver, who gets bullied at his new Catholic school. Something happens with a tree branch that falls on Vincent's car, yada, yada, yada. Vincent ends up babysitting Oliver after school so that she'll pay him. It's a weird thing. I don't know. Uh, The two of them, Vincent and Oliver, end up bonding, as often happens with grumpy old men and adorable little children. Vincent teaches him to defend himself and introduces him to his pregnant Russian stripper friend, played by Naomi Watts. At some point, Vincent has a stroke. Melissa McCarthy gets pulled into a custody case with her ex-husband. She tells Vincent never to see Oliver again, but then Oliver does a school project about modern-day saints on Vincent, and everybody ends up having a disgusting spaghetti and green beans casserole together at the end because they're all happy. And, and that is time. <sighs> I got most You of got it. it all in there. There are yeah. a lot of subplots in this movie. There are. This movie I changes... I don't think you missed any of them. This movie changes directions like three times in this movie. It's very... Um, Fully. It is not, I would not call it a tightly scripted movie. It does not seem to hold, there's a center absence from this movie. And I think it tries to lean on this whole like uh, meta idea about the school project, about like find saints among you in your, you know, daily lives, which A, is a really crappy project to give kids. B, is an insane project to have like culminate with a school assembly that these kids have to give like 
PowerPoint presentations and whatnot. <laughs> on and, their moms and dads and neighbor babysitters. Well, and if you look at, like, it's so funny to watch. the They show little bits of this presentation, like, while we're waiting for Oliver to get to his turn. And it's all these, like, kids who, like, my neighbor's a firefighter. And it's just like, yes, 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 we get it. Like, everyday right. heroes. Um and they're also comparing them to other saints, right? Which, like, which is hilarious because like compares him to compares Vincent to a saint of adopted kids, and mine Lieberherr is uh, an adopted kid. Um, but if you look at the history of saints, as you know, many a Catholic can tell you, the easiest way, the easiest road to be to sainthood in for most of human history was to be. Um, executed for your christianity like that's sort of that's that's sort of what we're talking about with like most of saints it's like the joan of arc route of just like oh right they were martyred for their faith like they will be a saint now and it's like now we have this sort of modern day conception of saints like mother Teresa or whatever but i just thought this whole idea of finding saints uh among you or whatever kind of flattens the idea of uh people and humanity and like i guess one of the things that i guess the film does a little bit well i kind of i found parts of this movie charming i will admit and like one of the things i liked at least about the end of the movie is that at least came around to this idea of just like um when when oliver's making the presentation for vincent which by the way comes not five minutes in the movie after vincent makes an incredibly racist crack about oliver's uh caregiver at some point so it's just like okay um so now we are you know the 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 overall idea of this movie is uh objectionable in the fact that we are giving this literally canonizing this racist man for doing the absolute least and like not i guess throwing this child out into the street while he's in his care (laughs) like right right okay um but one of the things that he does in that presentation was at least he's just like vincent's humanity is also what makes him what helps make him a saint because saints are human like regular human people too and it's just like i'm glad that at least that was part of the whole spiel yeah sure 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 yeah, I mean, like, you bring up, like, the the racism thing of this character. Like, I grate to this character so much in this movie who is, like, cuddly because the movie says that he has to be for the movie to work. Yeah. Um, and it's but, like, like, the performance is not cuddly. Like, Bill Murray is working against that conception of Vincent at every turn and does not really ever let up. Right. I think the performances are largely fine in this movie. Yeah. Largely, um, like Bill Murray. Bill Murray's good. I think Melissa McCarthy's actually probably the best performance in the movie. Even she though she's doesn't get much the to do. Worst written character. Yeah, she um, does not. She does not get a lot to do. Nor to. It feels like she, her character is an interesting one. Where it, there are certain points in the movie where it feels like we're supposed to think worse of her. We're supposed to think like she's not necessarily a bad mom, but like that she could be a better mom, and that she's sort of. Um, being too rigid or too whatever and but like McCarthy's performance I think she's so inherently likable that it's yeah. really hard for you as the viewer to just be like oh my god like she's not that great of a mom because like she is that great of a mom because she's Melissa McCarthy we love her that's a script it's a scripting problem though too because like oh yeah we we do question like the fact that she doesn't notice that anything's going on or that she wouldn't suspect that her son would be like at gambling racetracks by yeah. putting 
her son in the care of this man right. while she's away. But the movie also, like, there's this undertone to where it's, like, the problem, or at least what she is always, like, told the problem is, is that she's working and employed. And, like, the yes. movie never really makes any other problem that gets in the way of her caring for her son other than, like, having a job. And, like, right. that's a hard thing for people who are in that type of situation but like she is actively doing something to care for her son to be able to provide for her son because she is a single parent throughout most of the movie right and like i just i grate against that like the movie isn't like she's doing she's at least doing what she can and it feels like the movie is always trying to project her as a failure yes yeah, I think the script, I think if you read just the script of this movie, you would probably have a lot worse feeling about uh, Oliver's mom in this movie, whose mm-hmm. name I don't even know, because again, she's not she's not given enough to do in this movie. Yeah. Which is too bad, because, again, after, so she gets the nomination for Bridesmaids in 2011, so this is three years later, and... I think I've talked about this in the context of Can You Ever Forgive Me, where Melissa ends up getting the nomination for Can You Ever Forgive Me. It's very much a nomination uh, rewarding her ability to stretch beyond the sort of comedic conception of what we thought of her as a performer. And I thought that was what was going to happen for her with St. Vincent. I thought Mm -hmm. that was going to be this sort of like revelation. It's just like, yes, we loved you as... Uh, you know, comedic uh, comic relief in Bridesmaids. But, I mean, whatever, comic relief in Bridesmaids, everybody's, it's the whole movie's funny, whatever. Um, I know my heart, but I don't know my words. Um, This movie is the good sort of like serial comic like blend. I was just like, that's it. That's what's going to happen. It's going to happen for her. Melissa McCarthy, Best Actress nomination. Watch it. And of course, it fully didn't happen. Um, But as with many things, I'm right. It just takes the world a while to catch up with me. So um, ultimately, Can You Ever Forgive Me did that for her. But this movie did not uh, utilize her to the fullest extent of her abilities. I agree. It's I it I think it's to your point too where I don't even know if it's a likability thing but she as a performer can really like get you into the character's experience in a way where like you understand them and I don't know if that's necessarily likability and like maybe she as a performer is miscast here somewhat because we maybe shouldn't un- for the for her character to make any sense we maybe shouldn't understand where she's coming from so much. Yeah, I or guess. Or maybe that's... she should she should just be more of a mess or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, I hear that. Yeah, Melissa McCarthy in this movie is a bummer though because it's like it's one of the. It always feels like she gets to be in command, even when it's something that's like bad, like identity thief, and it's like it feels yes. like the movie shits on her the whole time. Yes, that's a bummer to watch. It is. <laughs> um, the Bill Murray thing. Let's just sort of like talk about it here because it is sort of the it's the one A of why did this movie have Oscar buzz? And so this movie comes a good decade after his one and only Oscar nomination for Lost in Translation. He had gotten a lot of precursor attention for his performance in Rushmore in '98, but that never materialized into a nomination, even though a lot of people thought it would. So Lost in Translation, 2003, he by all indications 
loses to Sean Penn and Mystic River by a decently narrow margin. Like he's second place there. He's the one who if Johnny I remember, Depp isn't like that. Well, that's probably that's true. the closest. It's a first, tight three-way race. Third place, like acting race. It's up there in my lifetime of how close it is between three people. It it comes just the year after what I think is probably the closest, which is Adrian Brody beating out Daniel Day-Lewis in Gangs of New York and Jack Nicholson in About Schmidt, which I think was another race that was sort of three-person race. But mm-hmm. um, I remember the conversation going into the Oscars because Depp had won the SAG, but nobody really thought he was going to win the Oscar. And people said it was it's either going to be Sean Penn or Bill Murray. Murray loses. He sort of visibly um, is not happy about it on screen when you look at, um, you know, the the five the five box view of the Best Actor award at that point. Anyway, um, a lot of people immediately start looking to his follow-up films of just like, well, clearly Murray came so close. Um, there is an appreciation for him in Hollywood as a serious actor now. And so I remember when he made The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou in 2004, a lot of people, even though Wes Anderson had yet to establish himself as an Oscar-approved director, really, I know Tenenbaum's got the screenplay nomination, but like Hackman doesn't get nominated. Um, Murray, as aforementioned, hadn't been nominated for Rushmore. But everybody thought, oh, okay, Murray's got a lead. He's doing the whole sort of like, he's funny, but he's sad kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And everybody sort he's of put, also a jerk. Right. Put all their chips yeah. on Murray and Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. And that movie kind of puzzled people when it came out. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like the darkest Wes Anderson mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. It's definitely, like, the meanest of them. Yes, it is. Um, and so that doesn't happen. I remember the year after that, where I think I think the Bill Murray Oscar prognostication psychosis reaches its peak in 05, when people were predicting him to get a nomination for Broken Flowers, which is the Jim Jarmusch movie, which... It's Good a luck fucking Jim a Jarmusch movie. Jim Jarmusch movie and Oscar like, nomination come in, anyway. <laughs> come on. Um... That movie I don't love. Uh, he's fine in it, but um, did not even come close to happening. And so from there, like, take out him voicing Garfield, take out him cameoing in things like the Darjeeling Limited or uh, Zombieland. But, like, the big roles that he's in, he's a supporting performer in Get Low, which is a movie that, like, got Robert Duvall decently close to a nomination but didn't happen. Um He's funny in Moonrise Kingdom. We have talked about Hyde Park on Hudson, which was a um, Oscar buzz on paper only film. <laughs> Until where people he plays saw FDR. it and it was the cousin hand job. Oh, he's also a president movie. Right. Um, the Monuments Men, supporting role in The Monuments Men, the movie that made us all realize that maybe George Clooney isn't that great of a director. Uh, he's very good in Olive Kittredge, but that's television. And you know, small role in Grand Budapest Hotel. And like St. Vincent's, with the exception of Hyde Park on Hudson, St. Vincent is really the, what, third or fourth movie since Lost in Translation that could have even conceivably been an awards play for him. Mm -hmm. And it could absolutely be in the conversation again because this year, because he has the new Sofia Coppola movie. Well, this year. No, but I mean, it could B, especially because we know that movie is done and there's a limited amount of product and things that are streaming are 
given much more consideration. And now. it's Apple Plus, Apple right? Plus. Yeah. Yes, but I don't know anything about it getting if they had any intentions of putting it in theaters or not. Right. It's like with the new rules that have happened for this year. Right. It won't need to be in theaters. Right. Yeah. Well, it, they needed to have some type of plan. It's so vague. Um, right. But yeah, we could see the exact same type of expectation thrown on him again this year, though I wonder if if it's just more of the same, because I think part of the problem with Bill Murray not getting a second nomination, though I guess you could say Hyde Park on Hudson is a, is a little bit different in terms of what role he is playing. Um, just like this stock, like yeah. codger, yeah. like funny, sad man. And like, that's part of the reason why I don't think a second one has happened because it has become so cliche to see Bill Murray, even when he's good, Right. Giving this performance. Well, the thing about both Rushmore and Lost in Translation was it was the novelty of seeing this, you know, celebrated comedic actor, you know, the guy from Ghostbusters, the guy from Groundhog Day, from whatever, um, seeing him play sad and serious and sort of, you know, low-key and depressed and whatnot. And it was just like, oh, he's stretching. And... Lost in Translation, you know, as much as maybe Ghostbusters calcified this image of Bill Murray as the kind of sarcastic, uh, looks down his nose at you comedic persona, you know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. Lost in Translation calcifies this, this dramatic image of Bill Murray as this kind of sad clown, right? Just sort of, Mm -hmm. um, low key. Uh, maybe depressed, maybe just sort of just like, you know, bummed out by life kind of persona. And so that's not novel either now. Yeah. Well, it's even to the point of like this movie, which is already like over calculated in the extreme with like any emotional turn of the movie. Yeah. Um, where it's like everybody has to have a happy ending in this to the point where it's like so absurd and like we leave the movie like not concerned for the well being of any single character to the point where it's like the young boy Oliver becomes like best friends with his bully with his bully yeah it's so like for, it, for... this movie is so demonstrably wanting everybody to like have some absurd like and here's my thing what's the payoff to that why do that what what happens in the movie that we needed to have this turnaround for this bully like all like there's no great plot necessity to have this boy sort of in the fold and there's no great emotional payoff to having Oliver. I guess it's that Oliver has a friend his age, but the movie doesn't really make anything of that because ultimately it also wants us to think that he's not bullied anymore. Well, sure. Um, but like, I don't, I just, I don't get, he can, he cannot be bullied anymore and still not be like becoming best friends with lead bully. Do you know what I mean? Like if you want to, it's also a movie that thinks everything has to be okay. Like, there can't be any type of, like, even when this, what we've been told is a deadbeat dad who doesn't care about his son comes back into the picture, like, he's the one who's, like, carting him around on all of these interviews for the saint presentation. So it's like, the movie can't let any of its, like, 
It's surprising that he's issues. not at the dinner at the end. Uh, it really, it truly <laughs> is. Know? Um, this sort of like ragamuffin dinner, like hodgepodge of like every disreputable person in the neighborhood. And yeah, yeah. All conflicts have to not only be resolved, but they have to be like, give you a warm feeling. It's weird. But the thing about Bill Murray specifically is because we know Bill Murray for these roles, it tells you everything that the movie is going to be, everything that is going to happen in this movie and how you're going to feel about it because he's cast in it. I think it's, even though I think he's good in the movie, it's fine. If you had a different actor who you didn't know exactly what the movie was going to be from their casting, I think it works more. And like, I'd be more interested in seeing this character played by somebody who hasn't really played that before. Yeah, I think yeah, I, I think like I, I struggle to think thing. of maybe an example or a name, but like I could see this as an Oscar-nominated performance from another actor. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Although, again, I think the movie still has the same problems. I think Murray does a good job of again keeping Vincent from getting to. Um, there's a trap that a movie like this can fall into, where the you know irascible old man becomes so likable that it feels that you're you feel strong-armed into you know liking him and he is the only kind of beachhead against that happening to this movie because he really has a commitment to keeping vincent from getting too likable yeah yeah i mean like it does have some scenes where it's i mean again i think they feel very engineered but there's scenes later in the movie where it's like to to separate Oliver and Vincent, he gets kind of nasty again to the point where it's like, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's one of those scenes before Vincent has his stroke and then they're there for him creating basically like this oddball family unit because it's that movie while they help him recuperate from his stroke. And then there's another fight again. Yes. Yes, there is to set up the, the, um, surprise of him showing up at the presentation because otherwise it wouldn't feel like you know anybody's sort of bridging any kind of a gap to get to that presentation um that scene reminded me of there's a 30 rock episode where um frank the judah friedlander scumbum character sort of becomes jack donaghy's protege and wants to sort of go in, get, go to law school and become the sort of like cleaned up thing. And Patty Lapone plays his mother and this is just like pulls Jack aside and is just like, you idiot, like he can't be a lawyer. His whole family were, were lawyers for the mob. And so Jack has to push Frank away. And the whole, um, meta narrative of this movie is that they've been watching Harry and the Hendersons and that movie ends with John Lithgow like slapping Harry like the big Sasquatch ape or whatever across the face and like making him believe that he doesn't love him anymore so that he like returns to the woods where he can be safe (laughs) and so that's the end of this 30 Rock episode is Jack Donaghy like berating Frank with the same uh, words that Lithgow uses you gotta go no I'm gonna be a lawyer I'm going to be like you Get out of here. Go to the writer's room. There is no scholarship. Can't you see we don't want you anymore? I'm just like, you don't belong here. This isn't your world. And <laughs> making Frank go back to becoming his old, like, scumbum character. It's 
that's sort of what that kind of a scene now reminds me of is just like go get friends your own age you know you don't want to be with someone like me and blah 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 and it's just it felt very perfunctory that scene there was no high emotion into it and uh you know poor poor Jaden was kind of left adrift in that scene yeah. we haven't really talked about the most important aspect of St. Vincent, which saved is saved it for last because it is, it a, is the thing that makes this movie rather unhinged. It is, <laughs> of course, very much a prequel to the Book of Henry, which is the other movie where Naomi Watts' uh, mother's is somewhat uh, <laughs> is a questionable, Martel, questionable mother to Jaden uh, Lieberherr Martel. Yeah, um, I never, I, I didn't quite cotton to that until almost the entirety of this movie is done and i was just like wait a second they're both in the book of henry like (laughs) jesus christ um that movie uh also flips on a dime and changes course like several times in that movie as well um i think he's i think he's a sweet little boy in this movie i don't know i thought this movie doesn't ask a ton of him. He's also sort of this like kind of low key, no high emotions until that one unfortunate scene that I just talked Which about. Which works well, at least for me, for the movie because like you can imagine the version of this movie that like leans in hard to how like gangly he is or scrawny he is, you know, or yeah. like really punches that up. And it doesn't feel like whatever the shortcomings are of this child that the right. movie like slams those in our face like it does with all the other characters it's the um, kind of movie that that falls into the trap that a lot of movies about young children between the ages of let's say 6 and 12 do mm-hmm. which is it never quite has a handle on just how old this kid is emotionally. <laughs> like sometimes he's this sort of like precocious kid who will banter back and forth with his mom and sort of like, you know, understands more than you realize. And sometimes he'll just like talk to Vincent and just be like, you're, you're mean man, you're a sad man. And it's just like, well, like, and I get that like, whatever children are complicated. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But ultimately I think this movie doesn't have a really tight grasp on like, how old is Oliver? What's he like? You know, is he, I don't know. Is he worldly? What are his hobbies? He not, Does he have right. a hobby? Movies love precocious kids because it allows you to write a kid as a little bit more like an adult. So it's a lot easier. Um, movies have a tough time writing kids as kids. It's one of the things I really appreciate about a movie like Little Miss Sunshine is that like that girl is not precocious. That girl is a kid with all of that those limitations that come with that and it understands that and i like that yes indeed. i don't know why that's my example for that but it is however we should still talk about the reason we are here in the month of may miss naomi watts we should. starring in saint vincent in the sag nominated performance she gives as katya zamolochkova <laughs> It also is a rash, a not a herpes sore. Yeah, yeah. Ekaterina Petrovna Zamolochikova, but your dad just calls me Katya. Um, what do we think? What do we think about the performance and the character? She apparently said that she went method, um, and like stayed in the dialect 
the whole time. She said she introduced herself to Bill Murray after, like, in the accent and was in character when she, which, by the way, and she said it because she said it was because she had heard about what a kind of um, prickly and uh, not super easy to get on his good side person uh, Bill Murray is. And she said she was intimidated by him, obviously. So she said she came in in character um, almost to throw him off, Uh, you Mm -hmm. know, to just be like, well, maybe I'll just like make him afraid of me instead. And I was just like, (laughs) not a bad, not a bad idea on paper. In practice, I can't imagine it endeared her to him very much Mm -hmm. at all. Not given the performance, however, if yeah. it truly was to, like, get one over on Bill Murray or to, like, assert some dominance in the scene, yeah, I absolutely commend her for that. Sure. I, okay, even with all of the faults of this movie and this movie, like, kind of being a battering ram in all of the things, it still feels like she's in a different movie. Yes, because it's so gauche and like the it's very it's very saturday night live it's very comedy sketch it's, it's very shocking she doesn't smoke in this movie <laughs> i know of all the like bad pregnant behaviors yeah. that she she's engages in she's a russian in. sex worker who's pregnant and like nobody and knows still if on it's the pole Vincent's like still dancing still dancing at the club with her like mm-hmm. you know belly proud as you please She's got, like, 19 bra straps showing. (laughs) She is a human bra strap. (laughs) She plays a sentient bra strap in this movie. She's... (laughs) I don't know. Like, she's definitely very fun to watch in this movie. Yes, she's very watchable. she has things that come out of her mouth that it's like, ooh, that's highly problematic. Um, Yes. Yes. But, like, also... And the movie asks us to think that it's funny, and it's not. But... I I'm glad that somebody had a good time making this movie, and if it's going to be anybody, it should be Naomi. Yeah, um, it's the accent is comical and not always in the way that it wants to be. It is a trip to Cuckoo Island. It is a trip fully to Cuckoo Island. It is a down payment on a condo on Cuckoo Island. Is what it is. It, um. <laughs> Also, the character itself, like, Daka's just there to make Vincent's life seem more, um, like, all the more disreputable. (laughs) Just sort of just like, what else? He goes to the track. He, you know, he smokes all the time. He's mean to children. And also, yes, his best friend is a pregnant Russian hooker who he also isn't very nice to. Who and like most of the people in this pregnant. movie? Oh yeah, that is always a little uh, a a question throughout much of the movie, an unasked, an un, a, a sort of hovering over the movie. Yeah, uh, and even so, it's still not like yes, that is the function to make him seem like more of like a dirty old man. Right, but at the same time, it's not. I don't know. It, like, it can't really have the courage of its convictions with what it is doing there because of how her character is portrayed and, like, 
you know, it ends up being cuddly. And, like, I do kind of commend the film for her having as much agency as she has. Um, and like, yeah. I guess she gets to be funny, but, like, it's, it, she's essentially a comic relief character to a comedy. Yes, yes, exactly. And it it's just weird and wild every time that it comes in. It's a small enough part that it's like you could maybe cast not someone who's famous. I don't know right. why Naomi Watts is famous yeah. on the poster for this movie. Yeah. It, like, um, to make you think it's some type of neighborhood heist movie. Right. Yes. I'm really surprised that it didn't ever become a thing where they had to, like, like m- steal something for him to make his, you know, payments that he owed money on or whatever. Um, she has an incredible ability, Daka, the character, um, to just sort of show up places. She's, like, just kind of there. She's at the hospital, like, like how'd she get conjured there? Like, she's at the house. She's at the nursing home when, you know, Vincent goes to pick up his his dead wife's ashes at the end of the movie. And it's just like, and just Daka's just sort of there. Like, what is she doing? Like in her regular life, taking care of herself with, you know, however pregnant she is like, no, not really. We see one scene of her at the, uh, the OBGYN getting an ultrasound or whatever, mm-hmm. which is an interesting thing because it's like, it's the only time when the movie steps out of the perspective of either Vincent or Oliver. And it's it does with um, Melissa McCarthy's character because she has that. Oh like, right, she's a scene at work. Yes, yes, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Um, Good point. But still, Daka is like the last character you would expect to get their own scene. You like basically Terrence Howard as like <laughs> truly the person who's most screwed over by this movie. Yeah, um, like he kind of even gets his own moment when. Uh, Vincent has his stroke but it's very bizarre to see her on her own in this movie um, yeah I don't know it, I uh, it's not a good performance but no. I'm not like it is not worth necessarily dogging over because I'm... like she full on got a SAG nomination for that, sure and it is did. the wildest precursor nomination in it's, the past decade. It's super up there. Um, I'm very glad it did not translate into an Oscar nomination. That ended up going to Laura Dern in Wild, one of my very favorite nomination morning surprisings of the surprises of the last, you know my entire time watching those things, really. I was so, so happy. Um, That's an interesting year for supporting actress, if you want to kind of dive into this at this moment. This is the year that um, our favorite medium, Patty Arquette, wins for Boyhood. uh, Steamrolls through the season. Steamrolls through the season, wins absolutely everything. Boyhood is a movie that sort of started... Uh, that Oscar season kind of at the top of the hill and people thought that was the movie to beat. It ends up winning the Golden Globe for Best Picture and Best Director. Uh, If you recall, Birdman only won screenplay at that Globes. Didn't even win Best Mm -hmm. Picture, Musical, or Comedy. Lost that to... Michael Keaton won, though, right? Michael Keaton won Best Actor. Yes, you're right. He did. Best Actor, Musical, or Comedy. But Best Picture, Musical, or Comedy goes to Grand Budapest Hotel that year. St. Vincent, by the way, also nominated for Best Picture, Musical, or Comedy that year alongside um, Birdman, 
Grand Budapest into the woods, which, you know, dubious though that may be, it was fully expected. I remember mm-hmm. being none more confident about anything that I was that Emily Blunt was going to get a Best Actress in a Comedy nomination for Into the Woods. Uh, St. Vincent is a nominee, and then my favorite nominee of all five of them, my beloved pride about um, the Welsh minor strike and the gays who loved them. Support the minors. Support where the minors. Lesbians? Where are my lesbians? Absolutely. Yes. Love We've talked movie. about this movie enough, listeners, in like random episodes. If you haven't seen the movie Pride yet, please do yourself a favor. Bring some joy to your day and watch that movie. Easily the best of those five nominees at the Globes that year. But so, um, Patricia Arquette beats out Kira Knightley in The Imitation Game. I say a good performance that probably wouldn't have made my top five. Um, Emma Stone in Birdman, kind of ditto. I think I, I like that performance, but I don't think I'd have put that in my top five. Meryl in Into the Woods, a, I think not great performance. I know everybody gets on, I, I know everybody gets on Florence Foster Jenkins as like the nadir of her 2010s Oscar attention. I think this is, I think this belonged nowhere near a nomination. I'm never going to say anything bad about Meryl. I I love Meryl, but like, no, this isn't the We thing. would never suggest or uh, propagate the um, extensive rumors that perhaps that is not all her voice in that movie. Oh, are those rumors? I've never heard that, actually. Uh-huh. Who, who did they say it is? Donna Murphy. <gasps> I've never heard this! Oh! No, expand upon this. Tell, tell the children. Uh, this is just things that I have heard from many, many people. I do not have like, a, a sound booth gay engineer who was there that has spread this. <laughs> I've heard it enough. I never have. God knows I love Donna Murphy. I saw Donna Murphy play the witch in Into the Woods in um, Central Park at uh, my one time ever going to the Broadway um, whatever series Shakespeare it is. in the Park. Shakespeare whatever. in the Park, yeah. The, the, Amy Adams case. would like you to not remember that that production happened. Amy Adams was fine. Here's the thing. She wasn't great. She was fine. Donna Murphy was the business. Donna Murphy was so great. She blew everybody else, including the raccoons who wandered onto that stage, off of the stage. She was... <laughs> Literally, were there animals crawling on the park There stage? were. So, the, yeah, it's it's right oh out in the open... Uh, out of doors in the middle of yeah, Central right Park, the, the Delacour right? Theater. It is the smallest seats I've ever had the displeasure of having to sit in. It truly, for a person of size like myself, was a nightmare. It was absolutely terrible. I like. I literally, after we like got up, I like apologized to my friend who I was with. My future, my uh, wasn't roommates with him at the time, but my current roommate. Um, I was like, I'm very sorry because I'm literally just like splayed out over everything in this. It's whatever. But so at, as night begins to fall, and you know the the stage is sort of this like the only source of like light in the universe. Um, these like little creepy crawly critters make it uh, like on and around the stage and like you'll see like at the periphery just these raccoons just kind of crawling around and it's like a whole other like thing to pay attention to but yeah um amy adams was in this as the baker's wife dennis o'hare as the baker uh donna murphy as the witch and donna murphy was spectacular um obviously you're never going to be able to touch uh bernadette peters in this role she sort of like you know defined that role on broadway but Donna Murphy killed it. So if they wanted to... We talked to... about the Into the Woods with Vanessa Williams was the first thing I saw on Broadway. No. 
Tell me about that. Yeah. I remember so little of it. I remember we had Laura Benanti's understudy, and Vanessa Williams was great. Who played, I want to say it was Jesse Mueller played Cinderella in this production, although don't swear me to that, but I think mm. that was the case. Like, it was a really good production of Into the Woods. I was very, very glad I saw it, as uncomfortable as I was through the entirety of it, but yeah. To bring it back to this year's supporting actress race, we should say the four performances that you mentioned are the ones that show up at all the precursors. Patricia Arquette, again, for Boyhood, winning all of them. Emma Stone for Birdman. Keira Knightley for Imitation Game. And Meryl for Into the Woods. And then that fifth spot is in flux everywhere, basically. The Globes, wisely, went for Jessica Chastain and her fingernails in A Most Violent Year. Right, right, yes. And the Oscars... like we throw yeah. around the word iconic way too much, it, it has lost all meaning. What a great line what reading! Yeah, fully fucking iconic. Her fingernails in that movie, very disrespectful. In that movie, yeah. Her single tears in that movie, yeah. As I said, I think Knightley and and Emma Stone are both good in their movies, but like if you look at everybody who gets passed over this year, this is the year of Gone Girl. So obviously, both Carrie Coon and Kim Dickens are phenomenal in that. Definitely could have been nominated in another year. This Probably is, both on my ballot. Carmen Ajogo is so good in Selma this year. Minnie Driver is so good in Beyond the Lights. Um, Rene Russo in Nightcrawler is this year. Kristen Stewart in Still Alice is this year. Mm-hmm. My personal second place that year, I thought Patricia Arquette was my number one, but uh, Marissa Tomei in Love is Strange, the Ira Sachs movie, is phenomenal and so good it's that movie as well it is an embarrassment of riches this year that really just goes like incredibly deep and ultimately happy for kira happy for emma it's interesting that emma stone's oscar nominations are birdman and la la land two movies she's very good in and yet I would absolutely ride for her in other movies, like mm-hmm. to be her. Well, the nomination. favorite too, like that's right. And to the me, her yes. best performance. Me too. She's nominated and supporting when she's she's the, the lead protagonist. She's the lead in that um, movie. Yeah, yeah. How would you have we ever talked about that? How because I know that was a big uh, nobody, no two people, even though there's only a set number of permutations of that everybody seemed to have a different idea of what they would do lead and supporting with the women in the favorite i always said that it's either emma as the sole lead and rachel and olivia coleman as supporting or emma and rachel is the leads and olivia and supporting and see i agree with something completely different i think it is olivia and emma that should have been campaigned in lead and Rachel is the supporting performance because it comes down to what that like final stretch of the movie is for me. Just like, I know she's absent for a lot of that movie. Yeah. Um, it's not even like a screen time thing. It's that like ultimately that character and like, that's what's so like maybe heartbreaking is the wrong word, but like heartbreaking about Rachel Weiss's character is that she's in service of them and like that's yeah. a blind side to her yes. as a person as a character is that like it was never about her yeah um yeah I think I put Emma in lead and probably the other two in supporting is how I would do that I think it's very very much you enter the movie through this sort of like naive perspective of Emma Stone and you exit the movie with her having 
um, sort of come around on this evolution to being this Machiavellian creature who then creates a golden prison for herself, essentially. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's, that's not the only story in the movie, but that's the main story in this movie and i think yeah yeah anyway emma Um, stone is great so yeah emma stone's wonderful jessica chastain was probably the one everybody was predicting for that fifth oscar slot even though it still felt like it could have gone anywhere because of these precursors and it's so interesting that's why this supporting actress here is so fascinating to me that it goes to laura dern who shows up at no precursors has some like critics mentions um for critics prizes in the season so it's not like a full marina de tavira right but like it was a surprise that morning i took a lot of credit for that because i just <laughs> screamed for weeks about you how got, great you got the, that movie. all the phone numbers of all of the academy's acting and i just called them up and i'm just like do you realize what she's doing in this movie do i regret marrying a piece of alcoholic asshole Not for one second, because I got you and your brother. See how it works? It isn't easy. But it's worth it. You did a spam uh, ring. Of, yes. Uh, spam calls to everybody. Yes. But um, Critics' Choice also had Jessica Chastain in that spot, but because they have six, it was Tilda Swinton for Snowpiercer, which I think right. is a fucking rad nomination. It is a rad That's nomination. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and then SAG goes with Naomi, which feels like an even bigger curveball yes. than Laura Dern ultimately getting that Oscar nomination. Yeah. It has to be because she had this and Birdman, right? I like guess so. Yeah, because uh, Birdman, yeah, but they're not going to nominate that, I guess. But I don't understand why you would nominate this and not what she's doing in Birdman. I wonder. I want. <laughs> part of me. The conspiracy theorist in me is just like, I wonder if that's like a butterfly ballot situation, like where people just sort of like lined up on the wrong line, where it's just like Naomi Watts, St. Vincent, Sammy, Naomi Watts, Birdman, and they uh, and they all checked um, the wrong box. I don't know. It's obviously Birdman was a favorite at the SAGs that year because it wins best ensemble cast. Naomi does get a SAG award there. And And trips on her way to give a speech. Sure damn does. But she's so excited. It's so heartening to see how excited she was. Would this have been the first major award she would have won at at something of this level? SAG, Globe. Obviously, she's never won an Oscar. She's never won a Globe. Um, It's exciting to see somebody get that, you know, hyped about finally winning an award. I agree. And it's like, I don't know, the thing about Naomi, especially when you watch her in interviews and like you see her on that stage, she just seems like a real good person, you know, like too. So it's also that thing of like, you want to see the nice people win. (laughs) Was this the year also, though, of um, maybe it wasn't. What was the one year at the SAGs where she and Nicole are sitting next to each other and they had that one reaction shot where it's like Nicole in the foreground and Naomi in the background, but you can see like they're both in focus and they're both staring incredibly intensely at the camera or like past the camera. It's for somebody's like, it's for somebody's acceptance speech. It is. And it's, and it's all it is is that they're like paying attention to what's happening, (laughs) but they both look like witches about to cast a spell. Bye bye my hair. Bye bye my hair. 
Okay, after a uh, brief bit of research, it was the 2012 SAG Awards where Nicole was nominated for The Paperboy and Naomi was nominated for The Impossible. I am sending you this image, Chris, so that you can react to it. Um, I just sent it to you in the chat. It is... Iconography. Intensity personified. Nicole is literally staring through the camera while Naomi, who is like inches behind her is sort of like craning her neck in this very sort of like um the portrait of a lady kind of like barbara hershey just sort of like i will destroy you kind of it is both you and i (laughs) listening to bad oscar opinions yeah and it is also timmy and tommy nook waiting for a customer to arrive to nook's (laughs) cranny I don't even play that cursed game, and I still think that's a that's a fine reference, sir. Um, yeah, Nicole and Naomi, not employer and employee, but rather friends, and I'm happy about it. What else? What else can we talk about this year? You know what's funny about St. Vincent is it didn't really fail by any of the metrics that we tend to go by it's when we talk about like shocking it got good like, reviews it made a decent amount of money especially given for a what it Cinco is movie it made good money yeah made 44 million dollars it's certified fresh on rotten tomatoes in case you needed another reason to know why rotten tomatoes is not a good metric i um i think this is an okay movie i'm just gonna I say i think it. it's an actively abysmal movie okay um I don't love it. I'm not going to watch it on purpose after this. This is the second time I've watched it. It will probably be the last. But I didn't despise it. That's my that's my pull quote. What I will say is like the Rotten Tomatoes Metacritic balance makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Even though I think like this is obviously like a rotten movie if you want to put it in those terms. But it is 77% Rotten Tomatoes, but 64 64 on a Metacritic. So it's like the reviews are good, but they are by right. no means They're not rapturous. Well, and that's the thing. For a movie that got good reviews and the movie that made decent money, it was it did not permeate the culture at all. Like no. the the sort of meager awards attention that it got was the pinnacle and only people who really pay attention to awards stuff like we do really knew about it you don't i mean even like bill murray has like bill murray has fans has some fans out there like if you Mm -hmm. know the internet you know people you know bill murray fans and like even bill murray fans don't really ever talk about saint vincent at all like this is not a movie that found you know fertile ground in pop culture whatsoever the many times that bill murray has played this character this is like the bottom of the bill for the times people will mention it right right like people fucking love him in zombie land for a minute and a half but like they do not have time for saint vincent i do also think that this is a year where you have the top of the heap or at least at the end of the day with oscar the two big movies are comedies that can be taken like more highfalutin seriously, right? Because between Grand Budapest and right. Birdman, Oscar really only ever makes enough room for a, or so much room for comedies. Right. Although this is interesting because this was the first year that a Wes Anderson live action movie made it into Best Picture, 
Best Director. Still doesn't get acting nominations, which is insane because Ray Fiennes is A, phenomenal, and B, the clear lead. Like, sometimes you look at a Wes Anderson and movie. Ray Fiennes doesn't have an Oscar. That's the thing that I never really understand why and that Two nominations. Take off. Right, right, exactly. Um, they loved him in the 90s. Um, but sometimes with, with Wes Anderson movies, even with something like Gene Hackman and Royal Tenenbaums, who, like, Gene Hackman's the lead in Royal Tenenbaums, and he gives a very awardable performance, and by which I mean it's showy in the right way i think Mm -hmm. um but a lot of wes anderson movies moonrise kingdom which had gotten a lot of critical attention and didn't quite make it with oscar but you got the feeling it was close that's a real ensemble like it's kids as the leads and then everybody else is ensemble and so it's like okay i get why nobody really rose to the level of being an oscar nominee from there but like ray fines is the show in darjeeling limited eight billion actors are in this movie but ray fines is the show and you mean Grand Budapest? What did I say? Darjeeling Limited. Darjeeling Limited. It's on the brain. I don't know. Yes, Ray Fiennes in Grand Budapest. Um, he is the moment. He is the legend. And, you know. He has a point. Now, come on now. What was I going to say? Was it, uh, right. So this was the first time, you know, fr- he gets the nomination for Fantastic Mr. Fox. But this was the breakthrough movie for Wes Anderson. And this is the movie that now, with the French Dispatch coming whenever we get big movies again. Um that's why people are looking at the French Dispatch and being like, oh, this could be a big Oscar player because now the Oscars Especially have... Especially now that it's opening finger quotes in the fall. Right. Welcomed Wes Anderson into their warm embrace is what I was going to say. But yes. We can't end this conversation without mentioning that St. Vincent is an AARP movie for grown-ups winner. <gasps> yeah. Best intergenerational story in one of the more predictable uh, awards mentions we've had on this podcast. It's a generally... I that's not a bad nomination. It is the definition of an intergenerational story. Like it is it's you're they are not bullshitting you with this. They are not there trying have to pull been the wool. Sometimes over. that we've mentioned it and we're like, what does that mean? Right. What right. is your criteria? And like this this is the example to say this is what this category is. I'm trying okay, can I take a second to try and guess what some of the other ones might have been that year or what the other nominees that year? Okay, I fully spent over an hour <laughs> trying to find, because they're not on IMDb and you can see why. Oh, no, it's they don't have the other nominees? That's I a can't bummer. find it anywhere. I can't find it on the AARP website, which is kind of an SEO nightmare. There's, like, no navigational things. You can find a page that has all of their winners, but, like, there is no all frustrating right. thing when you're looking up awards information to me. Then you have your winners posted, but not a link all right. What all the nominees are. Then here's what I'm going to do: is I'm going to take a very quick pre- uh, cursory glance at the films of 2014 as per my um, my nerd list, and I'm going to throw out some possibilities that could have been good intergenerational stories. It's not intergenerational um, love story. It's just intergenerational story. So, a um, let's see what do we have here. They gave Best Grown-Up Love Story to Love is Strange, which, that fucking rules. I would be willing to bet that it is an intergenerational story nominee, then. Because it's them and their younger the teenage relatives. Boy. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. right, the teenage boy. That's not a bad one. Um, I was thinking if you wanted to go a darker route, um, Whiplash is definitely an intergenerational story. From mm-hmm. that year, not a happy one, but definitely um, one. You have Annie, which is, come on. 
an intergenerational story <laughs> between Ad, Annie and either either Miss Hannigan or uh, Daddy Warbucks. So either one of those would work. Um, Laggies is by definition an intergenerational story where Kira Knightley befriends younger people. <laughs> that was twenty. Thank you for bringing up Lynn Shelton's Laggies. It's a good movie. My... I like that movie. I'm so happy I with seen that. It. Movie. I like Lynn Shelton's movies. Um, of course, Tammy, which is a story of Melissa McCarthy and her grandmother Susan Sarandon finding um, common ground, and of course Godzilla, which is a uh, ancient monster unearthed from the ground who you know has a complicated relationship <laughs> with both aaron taylor johnson and elizabeth olsen long let's before... not forget the judge where Robert <laughs> is confronted with the vastness of time itself let's let's forget the judge <laughs> let's perhaps let's perhaps forget the judge um couple other possibilities that year. Of course, Beyond the Lights, intergenerational story, mother and daughter, a fantastic movie. Um, so Alice, the story of a mother and a daughter. Absolutely. Uh, Into the Woods, about an old-ass witch and the younger people she put curses on. Yeah, put a curse on a baby for, you know, someone stealing her beans. It's a whole thing. Look it up. It's fantastic. Um, You're always spilling your beans. <laughs> Finding Vivian Mayer, a documentary about a young hipster uh, unearthing photos by an old-ass, maybe lesbian photographer. I also think Pride would be a really good nominee there. Absolutely. Because it's different generations of people working together for I love that. I absolutely love that. That's fantastic. Yeah, lots of good possibilities for... um, the Hundred Foot Journey, Helen Mirren, and that young uh, would-be chef in that movie. Very fun and good. Lots of stuff. Mommy, about, you know, the kid and his mommy. Intergenerational there. Excellent film. Excellent film. Fantastic film. Yeah, lots of ways this could go. X-Men Days of Future Past. It's about the future and the past. It's all It's all happening. <laughs> And, you know, and oh, by the way, Boyhood, which is an intergenerational story about a child and his older self. Yes. Yes. A generation going through their generation. Exactly. Yeah. Into their generation. Whoa. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, what's going on? Um, can we talk briefly about how... Ted Melfi's next movie also stars Melissa McCarthy and Chris O'Dowd. And it's not... He did something between this and Hidden Figures? Maybe. he wrote He wrote the script for Going in Style, but he did not direct it. And that was actually after Hidden Figures. No, his next movie after St. Vincent is Hidden Figures. Um, But no, he's got a movie in, according to Wikipedia, post-production, called The Starling. That he wrote, although he didn't, or he directed but didn't write, which is sort of a, a swerve for him. Starring Melissa McCarthy, Chris O'Dowd, Kevin Klein, Timothy Oliphant, David Diggs, my beloved Skylar Gisondo from um, Booksmart, among other things. Oh, the nice, the nice boy from Booksmart. Uh, Melissa McCarthy and Chris O'Dowd apparently play a married couple who are going through it, and uh, McCarthy becomes 
in a very cliched uh, sentence that I'm reading, uh, McCarthy becomes obsessed with a starling bird that has nested in her backyard that begins to harass and attack her, and she becomes, and this is a quote, comically obsessed with killing it. Which is, you know, that's fun. Love to see myself represented in media. And then she... (laughs) And then she bonds with a, again, quoting, quirky psychologist turned veterinarian with a troubled past of his own, played by Kevin Klein. So it feels like Ted Melfi is maybe not straying too far from... This is the one that got, like, the record deal with Netflix, right? It is a Netflix movie. Netflix just bought this movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. Interesting indeed. Not saying that it's going to be great, but again... Um, I was concerned that the Starling was going to be pushing these, like, character reboots way too extreme and that it would be a Clary Starling origin (laughs) story that's, like, the Batman, the Superman. Would watch if... um, Absolutely would watch. But would you want it to be Jodie, Julianne, or someone new? Oh, someone new. Yeah. Wasn't the... I thought it was Ellen Page, but wasn't there also the, it wasn't, maybe it wasn't Hannibal, but they thought of doing an origin story or redoing Silence of the Lambs. And I thought it was, Sersha was a name that was thrown around. Oh, that's interesting. Truly the one that I think could take up the Jodie Foster mantle. Yeah. Oh, yes, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely for sure. Um, Let me go through my notes here. About St. Vincent. Stealth and Dowd, of course. She just sort of shows up there as she does in Hereditary. Um, oh, remember how there's that one really, like, dumb joke about, like, where he's trying to teach the kid to be tough. And he's sure. like, if you haven't noticed, I'm very small. And he goes, Hitler was small. And he's like, that's a terrible joke to make. And then when Jaden finally punches the bully at gym class and whatever breaks his nose... The blood on his face has a very sort of like Hitler stash oh appearance God, to it. it does. And I'm like, I hope that wasn't intentional because that's uh, dumb. And then he grew up to be a Nazi youth jerking off in the bathroom. Yes, knives in Knives Out. Out. The prophecy is complete. Also, I literally yesterday um, started watching Defending Jacob on Apple Plus, which I'm kind of very into, actually. Um where Chris Evans and Michelle Dockery are the parents of young Jaden Martel Ney Lieberherr, uh, who was accused of stabbing a classmate to death. And I was just like, man, oh. we really have followed the darkest timeline for little Jaden, where he's playing like murderers and um, people who instruct their mothers to commit murder and young Hitler youth in, uh, in Knives Out. Um, he's trying to tell us something. Yeah. I you noticed have to understand the way he is, mine hair. Tiger is a tiger, it! not a lamb. Mine hair. Stop it! That's a Nazi youth <laughs> is still a Nazi. Mine hair, not a Martel. Mine hair. Um, Don Cheadle is an executive producer on this movie. I would have liked to have. I don't know if I would have liked this movie a lot better if he plays the Bill Murray role. But like, you know, if you're gonna put your money Somewhat behind unexpected. this movie, yeah. Um, I did write this million-dollar baby-ass Makushla swerve in this movie after he had the uh, <laughs> the stroke. That was sort of my last gasp of critical assessment of this movie. Was, Makushla means my daughter, my blood. <laughs> also, if you could have seen me trying to spell Makushla on this uh, little notebook that I'm writing my notes on. It's like... And finally I just like gave isn't up. Isn't it like C-U-I-S... 
The Irish are frankly X-Y-Z insane. The Irish just don't G-H-G-H-G-H. know how to fucking spell. They're just they'll, they'll just, try to spell Siobhan at some point in your life, and you will can't believe Annie Prue's not go full blood. Frankly right. insane. Yes. Anyway, um, Saint Vincent. Saint Vincent. With that, I think we're wrapping up our Naomi Watts mini series. Yes, Joe. How have you felt so about fast. this journey, this experiment? I did I think note we're, we're set on making May the mini series for us. May and I think May. It was interesting to look at a performer in this when, like last year, we did a full year. Yes, hopefully Try- our listeners got the sense of like yes what her awards trajectory. Trying to sum up Naomi Watts's uh, Oscar career an oscar sort of career of oscar um often futility in four movies was tough i thought it was interesting that in four movies we didn't get pick one movie where she does that american accent that we seem to love so well um but yeah i think divorce she's american what's that she's american in the divorce oh you're right she is I always get I I I'm already now far enough away from that movie being like it's in it's in France it's in Europe like whatever like oh yeah the movie's fully evaporated from my mind already fully evaporated from my mind except for that damn bag floating through the air like uh, <laughs> it's still floating through the it Paris is skyline. if you look if you look right now if you're listening to this in Paris um, look out your window you will see it yeah um, Naomi after Saint Vincent I want to sort of like walk us up to a moment of hope. I don't know. Um, It gets worse before it gets better for Naomi after St. Vincent. Obviously she falls into the uh, quicksand pit on celluloid. That is the divergent series where she gets cast as the The mother divergent series, the mother of uh, Theo James, who is, I'm pretty sure supposed to be the ultimate antagonist after like they dispatch of Kate Winslet in that movie. I think Naomi is supposed to step in as the, like she's the one who they are going to have to like get one over on at the end. But like that movie fully gets cut off in a still like, it's amazing to me that they just absolutely cut that off and did not even, like, even the Maze Runner got to finish its, you know, mm-hmm. trilogy or whatever, but, like, not Divergent. Oh, no. Um, she's in the Gus Van Sant Utter Disaster, The Sea of Trees, a movie I've still never seen. Um, the Her terrible 2015 TIFF run, where she's in Three Generations, which was... I forget what it was originally called when I saw it. It went through, like, four different titles. It did. Um, Each one making it blander and blander so you wouldn't know what the movie was. Right. Al Fanning plays a young transgender boy in that movie to not as much um, controversy as you would have expected, but only because nobody saw that movie. Um, Uh And then Demolition, a movie I fully saw and cannot remember what Naomi Watts' character's deal was in that movie, because that movie is Jake Gyllenhaal's. That's another... um, We talked last week with Richard Lawson about sort of um, picking the right directors at the wrong time. And, like, literally, you couldn't have thrown a dart at a Jean-Marc Vallée dartboard and been more precise about hitting the exact wrong project to go Mm -hmm. to. And it was Demolition. Like, fully forgettable. Um, She wasn't in Big Little Lies. She wasn't even in Dallas Buyers Club, which not everybody loves, but certainly was a success. Uh, no, it's an Oscar winner. Demolition. 2016, talk to me about Chuck and Shut-In, two things I don't know what they are. Well, for starters, they 
don't exist. Shut In <laughs> is basically uh, uh, some random horror movie that she does that doesn't really get a huge release. Right. Um, Chuck, however, is a boxing biopic that stars Liev Schreiber. Interesting. Yes. So that kind of makes sense that she's a supporting role in that. Yeah. I don't know how big her role is, because, like, the first build woman is Elizabeth Moss. Right. Um, so, like, here's these ones where it's fully, like, why is she... To, like, you can at least understand the bad ones that, like, fall away. Like, even right. the Divergent movies, it's like, that was a franchise. She gets to be the primary villain. Um, or, like, she's playing mothers in those other movies. Call like, her Working mother. with a director yeah. like Gus Van Sant. Yeah. 2017, it's interesting. Um, things start to rebound for her, but in a really weird kind of way. So, like, she's in The Glass Castle, another... We almost covered that one for this miniseries, a classic. This had Oscar Buzz movie, Dustin Daniel Cretton's follow-up to Short Term 12, uh, Brie Larson's follow-up to Room. It does not succeed for anybody. Uh, not Naomi, not Woody Harrelson, not anybody. Um, so that's... a total miss she's in twin peaks the return kind of a lot from what i watched i did not watch that full season because sorry i'm not smart enough to it's watch like 50 episodes twin peaks, the return I, I still want to catch up to it but it is all. Uh, i mean i guess some part of me that fancies myself an intellectual wants to uh finish that but like honest to god i can't i can't feel that stupid every week um but like she gets a, a lot of good positive attention for that a for sort of reuniting with this beloved director and they have such a fun relationship together but also like people really like her performance she's in netflix's television series gypsy which does not get good reviews and doesn't really gets like canceled yeah like weeks after it premieres right um very soon like it takes a lot for netflix to cancel a show yeah and they cancel that one fast it usually takes two or three seasons Yes, yeah, they gave up on that one very quickly. And then, of course, as I mentioned, she reunites with Jaden Lieberherr in The Book of Henry, a a movie that absolutely gets savaged, but in a way that only really harms, um, what's his nuts? Colin Trevorrow. Colin Trevorrow. He loses a Star Wars movie He loses a Star Wars movie over it. He becomes sort of a laughingstock, but, like, it doesn't really harm Naomi. And, in fact, I think because so many people watched that movie for the lols, like, she gets actually kind of a lot of attention for that movie in a way that, like, is value-neutral for her as a career. I don't think anybody looked at that movie and is just like, wow, Naomi Watts has hit rock bottom. It's this, like... No, not at all. Well, this is the thing about Naomi, and I brought it up in previous episodes. It's like, she has had some, like, roles that have asked her to do some bonkers shit and, like, make it real. And, like, I do think she does right by that in the movie, where it's, like, everything that her character goes through is bananas, it is absurd, it is absolutely laughable. But, like, she plays it on its face. She does it straight. And, like, that is commendable to me. And, yeah. like, her performance isn't something that you're laughing at. You're just laughing at what the character is doing. She's right. not, like... Right. It, it's good that it has not harmed. Weirdly, I, I mean, it's it's such a strange thing to say, but weirdly, I do feel like that movie is a slight positive for her just because so many people saw it. Um, 2018, she's a cameo in Vice. 2019, here's where it starts to get interesting again, is um, two movies I, again, have never heard of. We'll start with the, the lower end of the spectrum. The Wolfing Hour and Ophelia. Talk to me about those. 
The Wolf Hour is another horror movie that nobody has seen. Ophelia is the Daisy Ridley starring Hamlet adaptation that is from the perspective of Ophelia, and she plays Gertrude. Interesting. Nobody has seen this movie. No, absolutely not. It played Sundance like a year or a year and a half before it saw theaters. Yeah. Two of them. And was on VOD. Uh, it, that year, she also has Loose. Yes. Which is very good. I and mean, she's like, good some people have different opinions. It's very stagey. You can absolutely sure. tell it's a stage adaptation. Yeah. But everybody in that movie is on fire, um, including Naomi Watts. I've said I think that it is Octavia Spencer's best performance. She's great. Also, you um, check out that movie. It's is on it Hulu. Calvin Harrison? Who's the, yes. the main guy? Met? Fantastic yes. in that. Yeah, she's also on Showtime in the uh, the loudest voice playing Gretchen Carlson, the same role obviously that Nicole Kidman plays in Bombshell. I also uh, in the outline here for the Wolf Hour, you did write the Wolfing Hour, which is why I said that, and which has me really uh, imagining is it not the Wolfing Hour. It has me imagining Naomi Watts starring in um, a remake of the Children's Hour with uh, werewolves. Yeah, Where, it's the cat's version of the of the children's hour. They just like slowly become wolves as, uh, as <laughs> Jellicle songs for Jellicle, um secret lesbians. <laughs> oh my god, the naming of the wolves is absolutely my favorite part of the Wolfing Hour mm-hmm. for sure. Hey. All right, what are, what's your button? What's your button on Naomi Watts? As we have now uh, pulled into, I think I I. I think things are maybe starting to, again, with Loose, the loudest voice, I think things are starting to look up in terms of, um, you know, her public perception. I think here's what kind of gives me hope for Naomi Watts to eventually have, like, the Oscar nomination we're excited about or, or possibly the Oscar win is that she doesn't. If you follow her on Instagram, hmm. she has a wonderful, like, silly, insane Instagram account. She fully posted a clip of herself from St. Vincent during all of, like, uh, the beginning of quarantine of her saying, it's going to be okay, or whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? She's self-promoting, but also doesn't take herself too seriously. And that, to me... If you're the type of performer, if she just gets the opportunity to do something, I feel like everything I say, if she can do this, St. Vincent's is also kind of the example for. So when I say this, I mean not St. Vincent. But to do something out of the box, probably a supporting role that like is not what she usually does and is maybe a little out there. Yeah. Like the days of I Heart Huckabees, Mulholland Drive. Yes. Um, and, I, and I think that's still possible, still coming. Uh, what doesn't give me a ton of hope is looking at her upcoming projects on IMDb, one of which is a uh, action thriller With called Mel Gibson, Boss right? Level, starring Mel Gibson and Frank Grillo, poor Naomi and Michelle Yeoh have to endure this film called Boss Level, directed by Joe Carnahan, who, you know, once upon a time had gotten awardsy attention for NARC, but has since made films like The A-Team and The Grey, and ultimately is not a director I want in charge of Naomi Watts's, um well-being. 
as a, or as time. a performer. Or energy. Or time, yes. Um, she's also in a movie called Penguin Bloom, which is in uh, post-production according to IMDb, where the logline for that is, a family takes in an injured magpie that makes a profound difference in their lives. So truly, the stars of St. Vincent are going to be starring in some movies where birds really affect them in the coming <laughs> months and years she's in this movie i believe her husband in this movie is andrew lincoln of um the walking dead and uh love actually fame does i don't have a ton of hope for that one either she's also she also has go for it it's a bloom house horror movie right am i crazy i'm just gonna assume you're not crazy okay Bloomhouse usually um, expected to deliver product that makes money and gets people excited for a week um, when they are not uh, Forbidden Island. What's the what's the what's the project? Uh, it's called Once Upon a Time in Staten Island. As with most Bloomhouse product, the plot is not really known, but it is some type of family drama that you can imagine is probably a horror movie. It's interesting because Bloomhouse doesn't do exclusively horror movies i think they do sort of like step out of that every once in a while what they're known for though oh yeah absolutely what they do well absolutely um she's in this movie with bobby cannavale again weirdly frank grillo i don't know why all of a sudden we're getting all the naomi watts frank grillo joints um but yeah naomi and bobby cannavale in that one yeah i like her i like her a lot i wish her great success in her career i don't know if it's ever going to if she's ever going to get that oscar winning role that maybe i want her to but honestly she's gonna be so happy if it ever happens and i want to see that moment and telling you right now i'm gonna need everybody to be happy for her because i don't want to hear the jokes i know i don't want the meanness i don't want it i don't want that we love naomi yes all right. We, like her we hope you guys liked this, you know, mini series. Obviously, we will um, get our heads churning for whatever the next one is. But we've got some really interesting things coming down the pike for y'all, including in uh, a few short weeks our one hundredth episode. Can you believe it? We are going to have a hundred, at least a hundred, like movie episodes a hundred uh, proper bonuses, episodes but... and we've had some bonuses along the way but yeah we've covered a hundred movies on this little podcast and the hundredth one the title be i'm so excited to talk about this movie i'm not gonna give you guys any hints as to what it is but i'm just gonna say oh, it's, i'm so excited dig through previous episodes there has maybe yeah been... we may have we may have dropped a hint at some point or another but um it is something that we've been talking about from like the very beginning of a movie that we could do and and privately we've had this one earmarked for our 100th episode for quite a while so yeah yeah because it's it, it 100 episodes requires something yeah huge yes to talk about brace yourselves so we're going to talk about it yeah okay we saved this one we have for a special occasion yes we're going to do it but should we move on to the imdb game yes let's 
oh, why don't I explain Joe, what it is? Yes, please do explain <laughs> to our lovely listeners what the IMDb game yeah, is. Yeah, oh, you know, the IMDb game. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game. We challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. And if any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it becomes what? A free-for-all of hints because we are hint-friendly at this podcast. Indeed, that's the IMTB game. Would yeah. you like to give or guess first, Joseph? Why don't I give first? Okay. So as you, you know, I, uh, I travel a path from the, the movie in question to whatever I'm going to give you for IMTB game this week. Theodore Ted Melfi, uh, as I mentioned uh, a little bit ago, he wrote but did not direct the, uh, I believe it's a remake, right? Going in style? I think that was a remake of, a, uh, I don't of an know earlier if it's movie. a remake. Anyway. But it is uh, older actors doing what I'm guessing is some type of crime. It's a heist, I think, of some kind of a thing. The poster is um, Alan Arkin, Morgan Freeman, and Michael Caine with like bags full of money, and Freeman's got a gun, and they're in front of a, um, a brick wall with the, the lines, the horizontal lines with the height markers on it that you would have in a police lineup so yeah the tagline to this movie is you're never too old to get even it is um you know if you loved last vegas you'll certainly uh love going in style i do not have never too old to get even you are sometimes too old to get odd (laughs) stay normal everyone this uh imdb game has taken an odd turn um yeah so i'm not gonna have you guess any of those three stars but i will have you guess the imdb top four of a supporting actor in this movie mr christopher lloyd Uh oh okay the question is how many back to the futures are gonna be on here i definitely back to the future is there back to the future part one 1985's back to the future yes exactly okay any television no sir uh no television you said no television no voice work okay um adam's family no no okay um clue yes okay he was probably in a woody allen movie but if i can't remember what it was (laughs) i'm not going to guess it um Roger Rabbit? Correct. Okay. Um hmm. trying to think of he's been in a lot of bad movies. It's highly likely that a bad movie is gonna be on there. Do I think it's Back to the Future 2? I'm just gonna say Back to the Future 2. No. All right, what's my year? Oh, have you guessed two wrong already? Yes, because you guessed the Adams yeah, Family. Yeah, I said Adams Family, which uh, I'm surprised isn't there. 1993. Okay. Is it Angels in the Outfield? It is not Angels in the Outfield, although that mm. is a very good guess. I believe that movie was 1994. Mm. So one year off. Is it when he plays the problematically villainous homeless person in Dennis the Menace? <laughs> no, but that was 1993, so good uh, good, okay. 
Good is nineteen ninety three possibly Back to the Future three? <laughs> no, that was um, nineteen ninety. Ah. <clears throat> okay, you're gonna uh, get mad when you find out what this one is. Is what I'm gonna say. Why am I gonna get mad at possibly me specifically? Oh, okay. Is it some? Is it something like I hate? Why am I gonna be mad? Is it like? Wait, it's. Is it a voice performance? No. Is it the page master? No, no voice performances. Damn it! I'm getting mad because I can't get it. <laughs> uh, God. 93. Yeah. None of those things that I guessed. No. I mean... Re- what haven't I guessed? Is it... It can't be like Adam's Family Values... Because why would that be there and not... Well, I mean, that's more of like a gay icon movie. Is it that? It's Adam's Family Values. You're fucking evil. <laughs> damn it. Listen, you were not already even doing like too good. like a tilt good. to your voice when you said no to Adam's Family. No, no, and I'll tell you why. Because you, you got Back to the Future and Clue so quickly. I was just like, I'm going to let him dangle on I this mean, for a while. Yeah, yeah. That's not a terrible known for. No, for it's Freud. a really good known for. I think that's a that's a very good strong known for. Surprising that Cheers or Frasier isn't on there because like people have producer credits and writers credits show up on their known for all the time when they're also a performer. Is that not a different Christopher Lloyd? <laughs> Am I the idiot that thinks that it is? A oh, <laughs> I did for the longest Lloyd? time. I'm pretty sure that's a different Christopher Lloyd. There's not allowed to be more than one Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> I guess it is a different Christopher Lloyd. Jesus. Yeah. Learn something new every, every day. Every day, yes. Please, listeners, <laughs> shout at me on Twitter if you have also just discussed this, because I'm very embarrassed about this. No. How is there more than one Christopher Lloyd? There, There is. There absolutely is. No. Yes. No, 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 no. Yes. That's like... If there was multiple of the name of the person that I have for you for your IMDb game, this is not a name that you get to have multiple of these people. Okay. Um, I went the Naomi route in this movie, but more circuitous because who is she playing in this movie? Katya Zamolochkova, who is the favorite actress or often (gasps) referenced actress from Katya Zamolochkova. Your IMDb game challenge is Rebecca De Mornay. Okay. Wow. See, I get to be evil too. No, I like that. Um, Rebecca De Mornay. Do you remember that one Seinfeld episode where um, there was another character who was Rebecca De Mornay, but she was just like she worked at the uh, the homeless shelter and she just kept um oh this was no, the thing i was looking there can only be one rebecca de mornay this was also the thing where i was i i, I was looking up something because i wanted to peg off of your uh um christopher lloyd thing but there is a producer on the uh much lamented sitcom uh happy endings that i love so much and one of the producers on that is named jonathan groff and so i took me a second where i was just like huh Good for Jonathan, Jonathan Groff. can also be spelled multiple ways. Like, if well, the Frasier Christopher Lloyd is going to keep that name, he needs to do Christopher with a K. Well, it didn't happen. That's just not fair All right. to people like me who spend their whole lives thinking that they are one. Rebecca DeMornay. Hand that rocks the cradle. Rebecca DeMornay. 
Hand That Rocks the Cradle, scariest movie poster ever. It's so good. Oh my Julianne God. more comically dies. Um, what's the thing she says to Annabella Shore at the end where she's just like, at the end of the day, you can't even breathe. Because like Annabella Shore is like dying of an asthma attack or whatever. It's so good. Um, it's my breast that your baby goes to. Like, it's so good. Okay. Um, risky biz. Risky business. Risky business. All right, here's where it gets harder. Um, God, I so want to say Never Talk to Strangers, the movie where she bites Antonio Banderas's butt. But uh, <laughs> true story, that actually happened. The dream. The Look dream. it up. The dream, truly the dream, to bite like mid-90s era Antonio Banderas's juicy bottom. Um, all right, Miss Rebecca. Straight on the tuchus. <laughs> Uh, that's what he says to her in that movie. He says, bite me on my tuchus. Um, bite my tuchus. All right, Rebecca, Rebecca, Rebecca. What was like the, the like, oh, uh, Backdraft. No, not Backdraft. She plays Kurt Russell's wife or maybe Billy. No, I think Kurt Russell's wife in Backdraft. Um, all right. (sighs) I love that your route to her was via Katya. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> all right um god what were like the big becky de mornay movies in like i'm imagining this is like early 90s uh late 80s kind of a thing but i'm coming up blank she doesn't have a ton of movies so I no think and she like, like her career limited. kind of like uh hits a wall quickly and She was apparently on Jessica Jones, but there's no TV credits. Oh, she is. She plays um, uh, Rachel Taylor's mother, Patsy's uh, stage mother in in Jessica Jones. She's quite good. Although it took me like multiple episodes to realize that that's who it was in this movie. All right, um, early '90s Rebecca De Mornay. Like, I'm just gonna guess it's probably not it, but um, she's in that Three Musketeers movie that um, uh, Chris O'Donnell is in. And Charlie Sheen, of all people. With, like, I believe a Brian Adams song uh, in it. Oh, not just Brian Adams. This Which was, song is it? Uh, it's All for One, All for Love, sung yes. by Brian Adams, Rod Stewart, and Sting, all together. Very excited to have our outro song <laughs> for the episode. <laughs> not some random song by the singer St. Vincent. I was absolutely um, going to put a St. Vincent song as the outro to this and just like let it sit there and people like have people arrive at that conclusion eventually. But yeah, no, now I have to do this. Uh, but no, not the Three Musketeers right. movie. Give me a year. Give me years. All right. So your years are 2005 and 1985. A 20-year span. We love a 20-year span. Okay. Yes. 80s De Mornay. So she's in... This is a multiple Oscar-nominated movie. So Risky Business is like 83, 84. So this is like right after or not too long after. You said it's multiple Oscar nominees? Multiple Oscar nominations, two acting nominations for two cursed actors, and I cannot imagine... Every time I see this as a trivia set, I'm like, I might need to watch this movie because I don't buy this. <laughs> All right. Oscar nominees from 1985. It's probably not a Geraldine She's the top Cage billed woman. movie. She's on the poster. She's on the poster. Okay. So, um, With the two nominated actors. Actors, not actresses. 
actors. Okay, so 85, um, Kiss of the Spider Woman is that year. I doubt it's that. Pritzi's Honor, I don't think she's in that. Witness, I don't think she's in that. Cocoon, she's definitely not in that. Uh, 85 Oscars out of Africa. Say, you mentioned no. Kiss of the Spider Woman, and I mentioned she is the top billed woman. Put some respect on Sonia Braga's name. <laughs> I said it was no. I ruled out. I ruled out Kiss of the Spider Woman. Um, not out of Africa. Not Pritzi's Honor. It, it, oh. It, it, all of these prestige things that you're naming to me, and what this movie is titled, I cannot believe that this is multiple Oscar-nominated film. Was this the year of um, Eric Roberts and John Voight in Runaway Train? Is it Runaway Train? Yes, it is Runaway Train. Never have seen this movie ever. I assume it's about a runaway train. Um, The IMDb plotline is two escaped convicts and a female railway worker find themselves trapped on a train with no brakes and nobody driving. I maybe need to see this movie. Nominated for two acting performances and editing. Was this just something that made a lot of money and was well made and got this? Type was this of a named director? Like what? What? Why? Why Runaway Train? Why? It is. Uh, it, he's a Euro director, Andrei Konchalovsky, who has done some things. But like, I don't know. What What are some other things we can mention from him? It's a lot of all right European films that I'm sure a lot of listeners haven't. Yeah. Heard of. He eventually did Tango and Cash. Stop it. Amazing. More trash action movies led by two um, name actors, I guess. Yeah. Oscar nominee Eric Roberts. Okay, so your other title, 2005, I guarantee you, you have forgotten about her in this movie. Forgotten about her in this movie or forgot about this movie? No, you haven't forgotten about the movie, but you forgot that she was in this And movie. it's a movie. It's um, not, because this was around the time she was in, like, John from Cincinnati. No, it, it's uh, it's a movie. Okay. <sighs> All right. I've forgotten that she's in this movie, 2005. It is a, a very big hit comedy. Oh. In 2005. 2005. Mm-hmm. Is she in Wedding Crashers? She is in Wedding Crashers. As I lose my voice saying, Wedding Crashers. <laughs> um, she's got to be what? She's Rachel McAdams' mother? Someone's mother? Uh, let me see if that's what her character name is. Like, she doesn't have a first name. She's Mrs. Kroger. <laughs> she's Chad Kroger's mother. Weird. No, that's a joke. Uh, she's playing Mrs. Kroger, married to Mr. Kroger, who is played by Dwight Yoakam. Sure. Sure. Um, that's when you think wild. about actresses of Rebecca DeMornay's age range. You think about Jane Seymour being in that. Movie. She's the mother, because it's because yes. it's Rachel McAdams and Isla Fisher are sisters, right? Yes, her cousins' sisters, right? And Jane Seymour is their that mother. movie is not a fan of women. It sure isn't. That is a movie that was very popular. I remember watching it at the time and liking it, and it just did not age well whatsoever. Nope. Yeah. No, does not like women. Sure doesn't. Uh, that's a very weird uh, known for <laughs> Rebecca de Mornay. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Wow. Makes me kind of want to watch Runaway Train. I think Hand That Rocks the Cradle and Risky Business, absolutely. Like, that's, yes, like yes, that, yes, those, yes. Are your, those are your big two, as far as I'm concerned, for, for Rebecca. But I'm trying to think of, like, what other ones I would have put in there. Definitely never talk to strangers if she's going around biting butts. 
Yeah, definitely the butt biting movie. Um, I'm looking at her list now. She was in a movie that I always saw at the video store and was always kind of intrigued by the VHS cover, which is her and Mary Gross from uh, SNL and also Troop Beverly Hills fame. It's a movie called Feds where uh, the poster is Rebecca de Mornay is drawing a gun, sort of pointing a gun at the camera um, with like a, like a sort of a Mona Lisa smile on her face, right? And then Mary Gross is kind of like lurking over her shoulder with this um, almost like a Debbie Downer kind of like half shrug on her face, like showing her FBI badge, but it's upside down. And it's just like <laughs> wacky cops, they're ladies, and I've never seen it. But like every time I would be browsing the like comedy section at Video Factory or whatever, feds would always jump out at me. I wonder if anybody listening has seen the classic Rebecca De Mornay, Mary Gross movie Feds. Please chime in. The Re- Rebecca De Mornay poster that I remember specifically from video stores is the poster for Guilty as Sin, which is like yes! her and Don Johnson peeking from behind like a, a curtain and there's like a city skyline. Very much. murdery. That was the same year as um, Madonna in Body of Evidence. And I remember, oh my, uh, wait, yes. Sidney Lumet directed Guilty as Sin? I was gonna say. What? that's crazy because that absolutely that picture very much suggests like um a trash disclosure era um i also love i'm looking at the poster right now um movies that in the siskel and ebert era only got one thumb up and so the poster just says (laughs) yes thumbs up and it's uh and this in this because case it was can't e- say Ebert. thumb up you right. can't say two thumbs up so you, you have cannot thumb right up. if it was a two thumbs up movie that would be like all over the poster in this case it's thumbs up but it's from ebert so it's like it's from the good it's from the good half of uh of siskel and ebert but still we gotta r- investigate movies that only got thumbs that up. would be a, a side hustle podcast in and of itself would be thumbs up with uh with chris and joe <laughs> oh my god we did, we have to find like a whole other set of time to do just the thumbs up podcast. <laughs> I this this goes along in my bucket of ideas where I wanted to do a podcast where I watched all of Demi Moore's movies in order, which I would call Demi myself and I. Yes, <laughs> I still kind of want to do that. Maybe that's our Patreon. If anybody steals a thumbs up podcast idea, I will find you in your home. Anyway. And ask you why you've taken my things. <laughs> uh, anyway, I think that's our episode, yeah. and that's our mini series. Well, we wait. Hope can you I take a, can I take half a time out because I made a joke when you had mentioned um, that the that Runaway Train was from 1985, and I was trying to go through the Oscar movies of 1985, and I casually yes. brushed off the idea that she would have been in the trip to Bountiful. She's absolutely in the trip to Bountiful. She is in the trip to Bountiful. Had no idea until I'm just now looking. She's on the poster. She's on the, the poster to, to the trip to Bountiful. Her and Geraldine Page. Wild. I'm sorry. Apologies to both um, Rebecca De Mornay and the estate of uh, Horton Foot. <laughs> All right. Well, that I think officially brings the Naomi Watts miniseries Naomi <laughs> to um, a close. We hope you guys had fun this month. We will be back next May with another fun experiment of some miniseries of some kind. Um, 
But that also is our episode. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Joe, tell our lovely listeners where they can find more of you and your stuff. Sure. I am um, writing out this nightmare of an existence that we're all living through right now on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I also, at some point, will return to Letterboxd once I start, you know, watching, you know, new movies again. Uh, that is also Joe Reed read spelled r-e-i-d and i have been mostly off twitter um at chris v file i will return so follow me there um that's f-e-i-l also on letterbox under the same name we would like to thank kyle cummings for his fantastic artwork and dave gonzalez and gavin mevius for their technical guidance please remember to rate and review us on apple Podcasts, google play stitcher wherever else you get your podcasts a five-star review in particular really helps us out with apple Podcasts visibility so please give a speech to your entire catholic school about how we deserve sainthood that's all for this week but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz let's make it awful, awful love.